You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Quick reminder at the top here that this show is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that is high in protein, high in fiber, low in sugar, and it tastes like a candy bar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Indians. We're going to try to keep this five days a week, at least through the draft. We're going to talk about some draft stuff. We're going to talk about the latest proposal that was uh, put out there, um, reported by ESPN. And from there, we'll uh, we'll just see where the show takes us. Um, it's one of those situations where I have my outline, uh, but I always end up deviating from it. And sometimes I have the most fun when I do deviate. But let's talk about the draft. So more mocks are coming out, and a constant player I'm seeing mocked to the Indians is Jared Kelly, the Texas right-handed pitcher. Um, and by Texas, I mean Texas prep arm. Yes, I did view him as my number one prep arm way back in, uh, gosh, was that like January, December when I put it together? And that was just based on, I liked his build. He had a really plus uh, you know, potential changeup, I believe, off the top of my head. You know, the, there were the pitches in the mix there that were interesting. Why he is now like my fourth rated prep arm is I had more of a chance to, to go back and find video. I got data where I could get data from people and Jared Kelly to me does not fit the Indians because now with additional data instead of seeing a guy who's you know this solidly built um, present arm and the Indians do like guys with present stuff uh, he is a two-pitch pitcher who does not have good spin rate data and if there's one thing we have learned over the years the Indians are um, they love spin rate. It is a massive part of their evaluation process. That is why Phil Maton and Hunter Wood are in Cleveland. Like, honestly, that is why those two guys are here. Uh, that is what brought them when they were released is because of that spin rate data. And you can go through the Indians as a team and see how important that is to them. Kelly doesn't make sense. So why are people mocking him there? Um, because the Indians are a team who have, under Scott Barnsby, who took over... Uh, this will be his third draft. They have been extremely prep heavy. When you go back, it was, um, you know, he went Naylor, Hankins, and um, Lenny Torres. And then last year it was uh, Espino and then Valdez. And I can't think who the third round pick was, but I think it was also prep. And it's been slick defenders up the middle and power arms. But I want to make a few caveats here. One, Lenny Torres and Ethan Hankins were both extremely young for their draft classes. Uh, Hankins turned 18 in May, and I believe Torres didn't turn 18 until the summer. Again, that fits the Indians. Espino was a little bit older comparatively, but not, like, older. It's not like he was anywhere near 19 on draft day. Uh, Naylor was a cold-weather prospect, which is something we've seen continue. Uh, and all of those pitchers, I mean, Torres was just raw. He was a raw, cold-weather arm. But uh, Hankins had some secondary offerings, multiple ones in place, and uh, Espino did as well. Like Espino had, uh, you know, the slider, um, and I'm trying to think of it was the change or what it was. But he had, and the Indians. That's the other thing. Like they want guys who are already showing uh, that they have a feel for three pitches, and that is not Kelly. And I think, again, under Barnsby, the Indians have taken risks they have taken gambles they have gone for high ceiling prep talent and they've gone for guys with current stuff and they've gone for guys who are sliding on boards that makes them 
just a fantastic place when you're working on a mock because prep players in general are sliding a bit and prep arm talent is very much sliding in this draft and you're probably at that point going to have you know uh Mikabel and nick Bitsko off the board and after them it feels like a bit of a drop it honestly does and i mean i like dax fulton a lot but a, a lot of people have just put him lower due to his injury and the inability to see him pitch but uh for what we have seen with the indians i don't think jared kelly makes sense i, I almost could see them going and i have you know had them at points going college with that pick just because of uh, how much they invested in the Cape a year ago and how much they paid attention to that. They do like sliding talent. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, who they would consider there. I, I was, you know, among the prep arms, yes, Jared Kelly's stock is relatively down to the rest of them. Um, I don't know who's the guy where you go, oh, his stock is, is supremely down uh, compared to the bunch. I mean, everyone's stock is everywhere. We don't really know a whole lot of what's happening. But I will say, I, ju- I just don't see the fit with Jared Kelly. Um, spin rate data matters a whole bunch to that organization. Having three defined pitches uh, matters a whole lot. So you're going to see Jared Kelly a lot because it's nice because you can slot him in there. There's a lot of boards where he's still a top 15 talent. So you can slot him in right there at, uh, at what, 24, 20, no, 22. Slot him in there at 22. And you don't have to worry about trying to find the the natural fit. I actually uh, am probably going to slide him to Tampa to pick after, so I don't think it's it's all that harder. But uh, yeah, I just it, it does not look at all. I mean, you know, I could end up wrong. Uh, I was wrong with most of my Indians' thoughts last year, uh, but I I think that uh, based on what we've seen, he just doesn't fit their mold. He just does not fit what they typically look for uh you know espino it's a huge risk but just a massive ceiling with three plus pitches and huge present velocity and uh mechanics that scared teams so much he was taken off some boards hankins was injury concerns enough that again a guy who was taken off boards bo naylor had some talk is going even maybe to the mets who ended up taking jared kalanick for a you know a counterpoint uh up at six but he wasn't necessarily a sliding talent, but he was someone to look at there. So, yeah, that's that's just kind of you know what I think and what we'll see. Um, I've been talking with some some scouts and more with agents, honestly, at this point in time. And one named throughout there, maybe not for the first round, but for the second round, a, a podcast uh, name to know is I want to make sure I get it right is Owen. Uh, Casey, who is a 17-year-old Canadian outfielder, uh, will be 17 on draft day, big power potential, cold weather guy. Also keep uh, Daniel Calabrese in in mind in the second round. He makes a ton of sense as another 17-year-old Canadian outfielder, but he has blazing speed, um, fits what we've seen. In the next mock, I'm going to have him going to the Indians round two, if I'm being honest. Uh, over on the the Mothership podcast, as we were calling it, uh, all week, uh, all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Taylor Blake Ward and myself are doing a mock draft. Uh, it is a group mock draft between the two of us, which <laughs> means it's uh, neither of us are happy with it because it's a lot of fighting and a lot of different approaches. We get along really well. So it's, uh, you know, it's nice to see two people who maybe don't agree who can uh, argue about something and come to a conclusion that uh, may not be what I want, may not be what he wants, but, you know, it makes a lot of sense. For instance, 
um, on today's podcast, we talked about the Colorado Rockies, and he really wanted to put a prep player there. And they, was it Grant uh, Lavenia was a first baseman who they took in as a sandwich pick. But other than that, the past few years, they've been almost entirely college. Uh, last year, they didn't take a prep player until I think the 32nd round, and they didn't sign a single prep player. Their entire signed draft class didn't have one high school kid in it. So that was where I was like, I'm not putting a prep player there. Um, we'll figure something out. We'll have to. And then the other problem, honestly, with things like this is, yes, I know most guys pitch mixes. But with the Rockies, you have to know like the very specific pitches. Like, okay, does this guy have a big sinking fastball? Because if he doesn't, they're not going to take him. Like Things like that are a little bit more fun to look at down the line and things we debate and talk about on that podcast. Our sponsor today is Built Bar. They are going to be our sponsor for the next year, which is fantastic because I have spoken many times about how much I love this product. It is a product I buy and a product I use daily. Uh, for me, a lot of protein bars are just either they're chalky and they're hard to chew or they're just super dry and that is not a built bar. I, whatever their process is that they kind of break down these natural ingredients and get it into a, a form that's very moist and easy to eat. I just two thumbs up. It's you know, it's low in sugar. So I, I'm looking around like, okay, so how are they making this so good? It feels like they're uh, they broke the system. You know, they found a cheat or somehow, but whatever they're doing, it's a great product. I endorse it. I use it every day. You go over to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com, and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 10% off your next order. Uh, curious to hear if anyone's done it, what they think. What is their favorite? You know, we, we I talked about my big board. When I get my next order, we'll see if uh, if the top three are updated or changed in terms of uh, Built Bar flavors. But again, this is a product that I use and believe in. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. So the news of the day was Jeff Passan with a cryptic tweet saying uh, Carl Ravitch is going to have something to say on uh, SportsCenter. Tune in. What it ended up being is that uh, the owners came up with a counterpoint plan to the players and that their plan is a 50 to 60 game season, prorated salaries, uh, and an expanded playoff structure. Now, compared to the players' plan, which was 114 games, prorated salaries, players basically having the option to not play. Uh, and, and and to clarify that, if someone at home was high risk or if the player was high risk or if they had someone, again, who lived with them who was high risk, they could choose to not play, but they would still occur service time. That was never going to fly just because um, it could be easily used as a negotiating tactic or a ploy. Uh, and teams would never agree to that, that if everyone else is playing, you can't sit out a year. And um, not that players would want to, but they're, it, that's, <clears throat> it opens a can of worms that the ownership was never going to allow. So that was not in the ownership's uh, deal. And originally ownership wanted a revenue split, and that's not in here. Now, back when they made an agreement in March, that agreement was that the commissioner, whenever it was time to come back, could just institute a season of whatever length, and prorated salaries. And that's kind of been the big fight. This is a very positive sign for baseball happening because it is the prorated salaries. It's not uh, some random structure. It's it's not other things. Now, the 50 to 60 games is not something players are going to want um, because that's if you were making, you know, uh, it, it, just look at this. Way. That's a third of the season. So if you made 18 million, you're making 6 million. If you made 30 million, you're making 10 which, I mean, that sounds fantastic to all of us, but players want more. 
their plan, you know, to get 114 games in, which is essentially two thirds of the season, uh, was to try and you know double lots of double headers, things like that, uh, which using that taxi squad to cut down on the injury risk, and that ever you know all plans so far it seems to be like June 30th is your start date. And that's why a lot of these things are so important because you need like a quick two week spring training to help get things together before it all goes off. And it's not going to be a clean thing. And I still wonder, like, if if the Indians were the team to win it all this year, like, how would you feel as a fan base legitimately? Like, would it feel like a real championship? I I don't know. Uh, Would it feel like being an Astros fan? Like, I I could like it's an odd situation to be in. Uh, it would be nice to have baseball in any form, but at the same time, this hasn't been agreed on. Uh, this was just, it's definitely the ownership taking a step forward and trying to cut what has been a very negative spin for them. I think that, you know, they've tried to set things up and in a way that uh, would make the players, you know, by letting things slip and being very uh, on the offensive with it. But uh, the problem is that we live in a, you know, the Twitter age now and you can't just, it's harder to, to be the sole source of information. And, you know, most writers out there have been like the owners are kind of being terrible. And that I think has had an effect and uh, baseball needs to happen. They need to figure something out. Uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably like if I'm being cynical, the owner said 60 games here. Uh, 50 to 60 games here just so that when it comes time and they can figure out a schedule they'll split the difference between the you know the 118 and the 60 and you'll get like an 82 game schedule you know you'll get like a basketball length or something like that and that is my best guess Uh, we'll have to see about hammering out all the little details but I feel like if they can get 82 games um, give players who feel like they are at risk the option to not play but not accrue service time, I think that could go through. And having a prorated, like I said, 80-game schedule probably is where we're looking at starting, you know, July 1st or something like that. Um, Probably no All-Star game, no All-Star game break, anything like that, and just powering through 80 games as quickly as possible in set sites. Um, You know, so figuring out spots like Arizona, there's all those complexes. I don't know. Are they all real? You know, spring. you might go to spring training and just stay there. That could be a way that this works. It's going to be interesting to see how they go about it. Um, I talked about it later on this week. We'll, we'll look at what a 50-man roster would look like, including Taxi Squad. Uh, I would just go ahead and assume there will be no minor league season, uh, which, I mean, that hurts from a team like the Indians' perspective. Uh, yeah, some of the players might be able to get out to Arizona and get some coaching, and they're going to have to do a lot of work on their own. But, um, you know, you're hoping that guys like Nolan Jones and Daniel Johnson would get a little bit of time before they, they had a chance to make an impact. And then the other thing I'm curious to see is just, like, you know, good old Emmanuel Classe has got, what, an 80-game suspension, right? So he's essentially suspended for the entire year, and because it was... I believe under new rules, remember, he's ineligible for the postseason. So um, unless they're going to they're going to have to come to some agreement. But if it's just he has to honor his suspension, then the Indians traded Corey Kluber and got nothing this year outside of Delano Shields, which is rough. But, uh, you know, it's just something else to consider when we're looking into all the data of this. I'm just happy for any positive momentum. Honestly, that's where we are. I am happy to see uh a give by the owners uh everything they've done has been pretty not great uh there have been exceptions 
but it, it's one of those things where I think they realize they're losing in the court of public appeals and uh, they realize they had to do something proactive and this looks good. This is going to help them start winning back some of that. And, you know, not to get political, but at the end of the day, like we have a very pro uh, ownership president in all sports. And if this, uh, if this, if baseball players and if there is no baseball season, uh, this could be the greatest distraction for all of politics in terms of they can blame others and they're going to definitely support the billionaire owners, many of who gave uh, money to campaigns uh, for people in Congress and the president himself. And uh, if this, in some respects, I feel like there's probably people in government who are hoping the baseball doesn't happen because it's going to be a great distraction from everything else when we have, uh, you know, greedy millionaires and greedy billionaires fighting while the common people are struggling with high unemployment. And that's part of the reason why I think they also have to be very motivated to get on the field because they have to realize now isn't the time. No one's going to look good. There is no winner in a prolonged situation here. Uh, I really wish in some regard we could actually just have a legitimate third-party arbiter. Like, get someone in there who can legitimately look at the books and figure things out and and stop being so clandestine and using creative accounting. And uh, it's always going to be hard because, like, at the other side of things, you have the Players Association, which is hundreds of players you have to get to agree. Um, I do think... The biggest change to baseball that's going to come in the next five years or so is this year probably will cause teams to lose money. And after some lost money this year and next, I think baseball is going to expand. Uh, keep that in mind. I think expansion is looming. I think expansion is you know, right there on the horizon. Uh, the problem with expansion is, of course, what it will do to um, divisions and the like, uh, you know, how do we figure out a balance in that situation now that you know every division is equal um and i don't know it's, it's one of those things like with the expansion of of the playoffs which seems to be something that is going to happen that could also be tied to the reason why like uh it's okay to expand and have a division or two that's unbalanced or do you do something where it's they expand three teams and put them all in like the AL or the NL, or do they do radical realignment again? Where if we look at it and they go from you know what we currently have of thirty to thirty-two, so instead of having um, you know we we currently have what six conferences of five, they go from thirty to thirty-two, and we have eight conferences of four. Then you have your four. Uh, division leaders who make it two wild card teams like the current system and that gives you four and two is you know you guys can do the math that's six double it to 12 12 out of 32 uh do our quick math reduction you can take a four out of each of those right and get a three over eight three eights it's a little less than half which is more than it is now but uh not quite as much as is other leagues and for the owners, two new teams is, uh, you know, two new billionaires who spend close to a billion dollars to buy a team and work to get it off the ground and just brings in some fresh money for the uh, for Major League Baseball and for those owners themselves since they're agreeing to, you know, dilute their, their product or their overall share by adding more. And, you know, baseball hasn't expanded in a while. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see what markets, just because of the ridiculousness of the current TV contracts, it's like, where could you even expand? Uh, what places would be open? I mean, I always feel like Portland just makes a, a ton of sense in terms of just overall city growth and size. Uh, San Jose has always been one that has wanted one, but has the oddity with the A's situation. I mean, these are just the names you hear over the years. I'm sure there's other places that would uh, also be, you know, a strong candidate for a major league team. There's always, you know, bringing back the Expos or, you know, would Vancouver be a place? Like looking into uh, expanding uh, into Canada a bit more, would they ever consider Mexico City? I, I don't know, especially with some of the upheaval down there, but it'd be fun to think about. Something I learned while just sitting here and doing some research uh, with this is that I didn't realize that uh, San Antonio is the seventh largest city in the U.S. It doesn't have a baseball team. I don't know how the Rangers would feel about sharing. You know, uh, they're in Arlington. Though at the same time, San Antonio might be huge, but it has a a relatively small uh, metro uh, area, which is what really counts. And it's uh, it's more in line with like the Orlando, Charlotte, Portland, Sacramento, who are all teams or cities that could also be up for uh, a baseball team if expansion happened. But I do think we'll see, because of everything going on, expansion in the next 10 years. I would bet on it. As always, I want to thank you all for doing your part with the podcast. I've been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Uh, I spent uh, about three hours last night working on my big board, and I will be getting that out soon, hopefully. And as always, go Tribe!